Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, animal fans, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Our producer, Mike Johnson, just reminded me that this is the last show of 2013. I just can't believe it. But I want to wish you a very happy 2014, and I hope you'll always continue listening to the Pet Place Radio Show throughout the year. I'm your host, Marie Hewitt, and I wish you also a very happy Saturday. If you have any concerns about vicious dogs in your neighborhood, you might want to think about what's going on in Orange County. The Board of Supervisors is considering making everyone who lives in Orange County who has a formally declared vicious dog to make their name and address public record. Do you think that's a good idea or not? Well, our friends over at the Desperate Paws of Orange County, it's a special dog club, have something to say about this, and you'll definitely want to hear all about it. Then, after our halftime break, Dr. Charles Rawlings will describe the incredible undersea world of living shells. A lot of us just think of shells as pretty little trinkets we can find on the beach or purchase in beach town gift shops, but we rarely think of the animals who live inside those shells. They are quite remarkable, and Dr. Rawlings has been up close and personal with them and has some great stories to tell about these fascinating creatures. So don't touch that radio knob because we're not going away. We'll be back in just a minute here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now is Stephen Terry from Desperate Paws of Orange County. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Marie. How are you? I'm doing really well. I always uh, always enjoyed the name of your organization, Desperate Paws. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. How'd you come up with that, by the way? Uh, it was just a take on getting the dogs out of the house and uh, making a little, getting a little humor on uh, the Real Housewives and Desperate Housewives television show. Ah, I remember that. Okay, well, it's great to have you back on the program, and and we're going to be discussing something that I think is fairly significant, and that is that the Orange County Board of Supervisors is considering making public record of all the names and addresses of people who own formally declared vicious dogs. Is that true? Um, yeah, well, the, they're, what they're doing essentially is they're, they were interested in creating a map and uh, putting together a website of where the dogs live um, so people could see on the map exactly where they were located. Um, at the last board meeting, I think they're going to actually move away from that at the moment, but the, it is public record, so anyone is available to go and, and ask OC Animal Care um, where the dogs are located, and they have to supply that information. Okay, but that would be making the effort yourself to go out and find out this information, but, but wasn't this something different where it was basically going to be publicized to a certain extent? Yeah, originally they wanted... that. Well, they sent Ryan Drapek um, a request to create a website that would list the dogs um, 
there's about 150 of them currently in Orange County that are declared dangerous or vicious. Um, and then they wanted to create a map. And then on that, that would be an interactive map so that people could go to the website and see where the, where the dogs lived on the map. Wow. And that's not necessarily a good idea because that doesn't just affect the dog owner and the dog, but that also affects all the neighbors because if you live next door to somebody like that, then chances are you could potentially see some increases in your own insurance prices. Yeah, and that, and that was certainly one of our concerns. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of insurance companies right now that won't insure a home even if the dog is, you know, not vicious but a certain breed of dog. So, yeah, that hurts um, me to no end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's there's a lot of concerns with it, and that was our biggest con- one of our biggest concerns. That and the property values of the neighbors who just happen to be next door to the dog. Right. Um, you know, that's really a. I think it's an undue burden on them. And not only that, but if a dog is declared vicious, it isn't necessarily because the dog is out of control and crazy, but there just happened to be some unfortunate circumstances that led to some serious bite incidents. And having worked for Orange County Animal Control for a number of years in the past, I know that some of those accidents truly were just accidents and very unfortunate wrong place at the wrong time circumstances and the dogs were generally good dogs and I could just imagine some crazy person getting that information and thinking they're going to go out and rid the world of all these bad dogs and and throw in a chunk of poison meat over the fence to see if they could take care of it that way. Yeah and that was was another concern that we had had in fact uh, the day before uh, this last board meeting, I sent Ryan um, an article that happened in San Clemente where a guy had had his dog poisoned um, by his next-door neighbor, and this wasn't even a vicious dog. This was just a dog that unfortunately got out and got in his neighbor's yard, and uh, that happened last year. Wow. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of concerns with it. I, I think that um, we're hopeful that they're going to not move forward with that. I we are happy that they've redefined their um, dangerous and vicious uh, legislation, and hopefully they're going to vote on that next time. It so. probably would still be a good idea, though, for concerned listeners to go ahead and write in and let their representatives know at the county level how they feel about this, just to make sure that in the future they don't move forward with any ill-advised uh, ordinances. Yeah, absolutely. Please do that. Um, if you know, you know, depending on what district you're in, we would definitely recommend that you do that. Um, there's, a, there's, you know, there's a lot of groups out there. I don't think people realize how many groups that there are that are trying to to ban certain breeds and working towards restricting dog access to public places. So yeah. it is definitely a big issue. Um, we have tried to bring that up on the show uh, from time to time, especially with regards to pit bulls. As soon as you say the word pit bull, people assume you're talking about a bad dog. And it is so unfortunate because the actual breed 
is a very gentle, loyal, loving breed of dogs. And just as with any dog, if you socialize it properly, if you train it properly, if you get it around other dogs and other animals from the very first moment it comes into your life, it's going to be a good dog. And the only time these dogs become bad dogs, so to speak, is because they have bad owners who haven't properly socialized them, who leave them out in the backyard, you know, for extended hours and hours, if if not all the time, and who don't get them into obedience training and who don't get them around other animals and people and, and do all the things you're supposed to do with every dog. No, I, I agree. Uh, we, are, we are very supportive of pit bulls and we fight all the time against BSL. Um, so it, it's definitely true that they do get a bad rap. And one of the things that I think people, people really tend to forget is that these were the original nanny dogs. Exactly. Um, I mean, they, they, they were what people got to hang out with their kids and make sure that their kids were obeying and staying safe. So, Well, part uh, of the problem, I, I, I place the blame squarely on the shoulders of the press because... They love talking about pit bulls and attacks because every single day, all year long, animal control investigates bites and serious bites by all breeds of dogs. And pit bulls are included in those numbers, but so are poodles and so are cocker spaniels and so are Labrador retrievers and every other breed you can imagine. But the news doesn't want to do a story about a French poodle biting somebody. No, I, I, I firmly agree with you. That, that is so true. Um, you know, what we, we recommend people do is that they go to the Centers for Disease Control's website and look up the statistics. Because if you actually look at the numbers, the number of pit bull attacks and bites is on the same par with any other breed out there mm-hmm. based on the numbers within the breed. Right. So that's, that's one of our concerns as well with Orange County is um, the supervisors were saying that bites and attacks were on the rise. But statistically speaking, if you actually look at the number of dogs that are living in Orange County, mm-hmm. there's, there's, the ratios are the same as they've, been, as they've been for the last 40 years. Right. We just have more dogs living in Orange County, and mm-hmm. if you have more dogs, you have a more a greater opportunity for a buyer or a car. Yeah, and, and our our human population densities are are really packed in too. So you're more likely to have an encounter with a dog, whereas if you live in the country or open space area, you're not as likely to have an encounter. Right, absolutely. So there's so many things that people have to look at, but instead people are very hasty. They rush to conclusions rather than looking at the big picture and trying to figure out how and why and then determining a reasonable way to make sure everybody stays safe. And the most reasonable way is to make sure that everybody is properly educated on their role as a pet parent. And that's what we are. We're pet parents. And as a parent, you have to do the same things with your pets that you do with your kids. Teach them right from wrong. Teach them how to behave. Teach them good manners. Yeah, I I, I agree 100%. One of the things that, that we recommend everyone do is to socialize their dog. From an early age, um, you know, if you if you just actually take your dog out and socialize it with other dogs and people, mm-hmm. um, the, 
the behavior issues that, that your dog can encounter are almost eliminated. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's talk about some of the other wonderful things that your organization is involved in. I know you have some pretty fun events year-round. Can you tell me what you have planned for 2014? Oh, wow. Uh, 2014, we are going to be working on a new tour, actually, in Southern California. It's called Canine Fest. Um, it's going to be a three-county-wide tour with three different tour stops. There'll be all kinds of dog activities from uh, dog dog diving to lure coursing to frisbee disc and you name it. It's going to be lots of fun. There's concerts. Um, there's games for for the dogs. Wow. Uh, vendors, rescues, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Ah, that's pretty cool. Do you have a website that outlines some of these events? Yeah, um, you can go for for Canine Fest. You can go to Canine Fest. It's the letter K, the number nine, and then Fest dot com. Or for the Dog Club, if you'd like to find out the various activities that the Dog Club has, you can go to Desperate Paws of OC Dog Club dot org. Fabulous. And what has been the most wonderful thing of 2013 that your Dog Club has been involved in? Oh wow, we just got done with a food drive. Um, it was actually for humans. We, we put the food drive together because we were asked to help out, and uh, we did a, a special event at the Irvine Improv, and it benefited the Fountain Valley Community Foundation's food drive. Oh, and I think we ended up collecting close to three bins full of food, wow. um, which then went to needy families here in Orange County. Did you get some pet food, too? We did get some, yeah. Actually, at our... Uh, Halloween event, we do Howling Halloween in the park, mm-hmm. um, and we got we got a really good number uh, amount of pet food that was donated to OC Animal Care, oh, and we were really excited about that, too. Outstanding. Well, I wish you a very happy and successful 2014 with the Dog Club, and I'm so glad you were able to stop by the show today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. We need to take a very quick break now, but when we come back, Dr. Charles Rawlings is going to open our eyes to the beautiful world of living shells. All this and more are coming right up after a quick message from KJAZZ 88.1 FM. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show, and with me now is Dr. Charles Rawlings. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I just had the pleasure of going through a very beautiful book that I believe you are responsible for, and it's it's called Living Shells. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's uh, It was a pleasure to do it, believe me. Well, let's tell our audience a little bit about the book. How did you come up with the idea? What is the book all about? Uh, the book itself is a compendium of photographs of living seashells. It details the actual living animal for all the seashells. And the idea for the book came basically because I am a diver and have been diving for probably, wow, close to 30 years or more. And I've always enjoyed seashells. And there's a niche for living seashells. There are very, very few photographs of living seashells in their natural environment. So I figured that to help promote conservation as well as to educate folks out in the public sector about seashells, I would do this book. And it turned into a, a very interesting and amazing project. 
That's very cool. You know, when I was a kid and I used to find seashells on the beach, I'd always look at them and wonder what kind of animals lived inside. And you actually have documented that in living color, and it's amazing. Absolutely. And that's the way a lot of people are. They pick up a seashell and they try and figure out what built it or what made it or where it came from and uh, what animals lived in it or even if an animal lived in it. Now, what is your background? Do you actually, can you look at a seashell and know exactly what the genus and species is of, of each of the animals that belong to a particular shell? Um, I'm pretty knowledgeable. I won't sit there and say that I have a, a, a Ph.D. in malacology or conchology, but I've certainly taken courses in um, oceanography, but in terms of my background, I'm actually a neurosurgeon as well as a medical malpractice attorney. Wow, well, that's a big left turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone sort of laughs at me just basically because of the number and hours and days and weeks and years of schooling, and, and it's like, whoa, why'd you do that? That's just too wild. Well, this is probably a nice way to decompress, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> after dealing with malpractice and, and neurosurgery and everything else that goes along with that. Yeah, let me, I will definitely tell you that uh, going diving and taking photographs um, is, is certainly different than um, dealing with clients and surgery. Have you ever had any scary experiences while you've been undersea? Um, oh, everyone asks me that. It's, it's more the fact that you can have equipment failure than anything. There's, I've been diving with sharks and whales and things like that, and it's, it's more equipment failure than it is anything that you have to worry about. I've run out of air a couple of times. Ooh. My regulator has blown up oh, a no. couple of times. But other than that, no, not really. Well, and that is just one of many reasons why I wouldn't go diving. <laughs> you have to depend on all these things to work, and if they don't, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you made it through, even with all those things. Yeah, so am I. I was down at about <laughs> 50 feet one time. In fact, uh, do, photographing a very rare shell that had never been photographed before, and my regulator did blow up, and I had to calculate how long I had to actually take a photo of this particular shell. And I had like 75 seconds, so I had to take a couple of photos and head to the surface. Wow. <laughs> That's what I call dedicated to your hobby. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like one of these places, it was Mauritius, and I had traveled, you know, like 35 hours to get there, and this... Mm -hmm. This one shell is so rare that, you know, it's, it's really not seen outside the island. Wow. And so I really wasn't going to let equipment failure stop me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very impressive. Hey, did that one end up in this special book, Living Shells? It's going to end up in my second volume. It's not in that particular one. It okay. ended up on the cover of the Conchologist of America journal. Oh, nice. And, uh, but it'll be in my second volume. Let's tell everybody what Conchology is. Um, it's, it literally is the study of seashells. It's, it's a little broader than that, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's between it and malacology, it's, a, it's the study of seashells and the animals that live inside of them. Now, a lot of divers will go underwater and they'll grab these shells with their living inhabitants and, and harvest them just for the shells. This is nothing that you do, right? 
No, no. In fact, these shells um, are the divers. These shells, particularly the divers, aren't going to see because most divers don't dive at night, and they particularly don't dive at like two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that's when most of these shells are out. And now I just, I have problems photographing something and then you know then taking it and killing it. I'm glad to hear that. I think all of these animals deserve to be exactly where they are and and documenting them with your camera and and publishing the photos just lets us all see all of this wonderful beauty. And you also photograph non-shellfish too. I think I've seen some photos of some Um, octopus. I I do a great deal of macro photography and uh, a lot of abstract underwater photography. And that's what really got me started doing art photography, and I've had some some decent showings and some galleries with just my abstract art, but I also photograph, you know, macro animals, um, anywhere from squid, cuttlefish, octopus, all the way down to, you know, like bryozoal worms. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up cuttlefish. That's always been one of my pet peeves about the little cuttlefish bones that you see in pet stores for parrots and parakeets and, and other birds. Yeah, I I agree with you in terms of the cuttlefish bone. I mean, it's the cuttlefish are very, very intelligent. They are, well, to begin with, you can look at their eyes, and their eyes have been studied, and they're actually the same type as human eyes. And so when they're looking, when you're looking at them, they're looking at you, and are seeing the exact same thing. They're also extremely intelligent. Um, they they protect their eggs. They protect their young. Uh, you can tell that that you can tell that they're sentient beings underwater. Wow, and and they're gorgeous too. Do you have any photos of them in your book? I do. Uh, if you go into the back of my book, uh, the living shells, I've done a section on cephalopods. Uh-huh. And I've gotten photographs of what's known as the flamboyant cuttlefish, as well as a Cepulatomonas, which is the broad uh, cuttlefish. And the the little flamboyant cuttlefish is only about three inches, four inches long, but it it changes colors. It's bright red, goes to yellow, violet, purple, fuchsia, um, and then it can change into just like a clump of algae, sort of brownish, grayish. It's wow. uh, it's a remarkable creature. And and they change colors fairly rapidly too, don't they? Uh, they change colors within seconds. It's uh, wow. there there are structures in the skin itself called chromatophores that are connected directly to their nerves and their nervous system, and so they, it's almost instantaneous once they get a neuronal output to the chromatophores. What is the reason that they do change colors? Is it self-defense? Is it to attract a mate? Are they defending their territory and showing off to anybody who might be invading? What are the reasons? Um, actually, all of the above. Okay. Um, they have, yeah, they have, they've documented that they change color, one, for camouflage. I've watched uh, cuttlefish stalk prey, and they will change color and actual texture to match the background so that they're camouflaged. They use it for uh, an expression of anger. They use it for mating. They use it for they use it for uh, other other types of of activities. How do you get the photographs underwater? I mean, 
by the time you get down a few feet underwater, it's it's pitch dark. How how are you able to get such gorgeous pictures? Um, well, it's interesting. Most of those photos were taken at night anyway, so it's not totally pitch black, especially if there's a big full moon. But if the moon is out, you don't see a lot of shells, and the cephalopods aren't aren't out a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I go down, the camera's in a housing, and I usually have and work with two strobes, which produce uh, essentially daylight lighting on the subject in about one three to four thousandth of a second. But how do you find them to begin with? That must be difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, you take a little spotting light down with you. It's, a, it's like a flashlight that's waterproof. That'll, that'll go underwater, and you just look around, and you, you have to know their habitat wow. so that you dive where they are. I've been diving in some pretty interesting places. You, uh, you always think about coral reefs and, and shells, but coral reefs don't have a lot of shells in them themselves. It's usually in like black volcanic sand or sort of muddy sand, places that average everyday divers don't go because it's not very pretty. Oh, I see. And, and do you have some friends who go down and help you with all the equipment and just sort of serve um, as your buddy? I go, yeah, I go with um, friends occasionally, but since I'm a photographer, I usually dive alone. Most people don't want to hang out with me as I'm sitting there waiting for the animal to emerge from the shell for 35 minutes and when they could go diving and swim around and see the coral reef. Wow. So I usually dive alone. Oh, that sounds kind of risky. I thought you were always supposed to have a buddy with you. You're, they, they preach you're always supposed to have a buddy. But, you know, um, more and more these days, are, if you take certain precautions, they will let you dive without a partner. Oh, interesting. Well, in yeah. the time we have left, let's tell our listeners where they can find your book. Okay. Um, probably the best place is my website. It's www.livingshells.com. Okay. Or you can go to my website. It's www.charlesrawlings.com. The name of the book is Living Shells. And you can order it directly from me. Barnes & Noble has it. Amazon has it. But probably the easiest thing is just to contact me directly, and I can sell it to you. Outstanding. Well, Dr. Rawlings, you are so lucky to be able to see all of these creatures in their natural environment alive and happy. And I want to thank you for capturing their beauty with photography so that we can all see them. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be on the show. You're very welcome, and we'll hope to talk to you again when your next book comes out. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. We need to take our final break now, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Anne Amelia is having a food drive. Bring all varieties of pet foods to the No Empty Bowls program at 16389 Bolsa Chica Street in Huntington Beach. The food will be distributed to the needy by volunteers of the OCSPCA. And you can also make an appointment for your pet to have anesthesia-free teeth cleaning and polish. Appointments are available on the fourth Tuesday of each month, and there is a vet on site that gives your pet a checkup, which is included in the price. Low-cost vaccinations are also available. For more information, call 714-377-7633. 
And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other fun animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. You can also like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash petplaceradio. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day.